Are you waiting for everything to be perfect before you decide to enjoy life? Stop waiting. Start living. Welcome to Life in 22 Minutes with Scott and Becky McIntosh, where you will hear inspiring stories from imperfect people living life with courage, humor, and a whole lot of love, despite challenging circumstances to bring hope to your heart and a smile to your face in only 22 minutes. Now, let's welcome the host of the show, Scott and Becky McIntosh. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to Life in 22 Minutes. And we want to welcome Scott. He's back. What? Been gone. Back? He's been gone for two weeks. It's wonderful to be back. Today, we're going to introduce a great guest, one of our dear friends from way back. I mean, we're talking like 35 years way back. Way back. Is that crazy? That is crazy. So uh, we've got Laurie Baum. Baum. I, I keep saying that wrong. Her uncle was my math teacher, and he said Baum, but she says Baum. So <laughs> we're going to get it. We're, it's, it's, this is her show, not his. We're going to make this the, yours. The Baum Baum battles. The ba- there you go. <laughs> uh, we first got married we lived in the same neighborhood that's how we met yeah and you and her husband hit it off and laurie and i hit it off yeah her husband is ralph peterson um dear friend of mine a super dear friend and way back so unfortunately we lost him way too too soon yeah 1989 yeah he was 32 33 33 yeah died of cancer and you two were such incredible supports and lovely friends and have continued to be, and I treasured that and value that greatly. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And you used to cut my hair. That's true. Back when, in the when day. I, when I had hair. <laughs> you know, I still have a little up yeah, there. Yeah, I could give you a trim. Yeah. <laughs> so, Ari, uh, she lives in Utah now, and she's lived in Utah most of her life. Oh, but, started out in California, I well, think. Yeah. Oh, that's she's right. California. As long as I've known you. Yeah. yeah been Utah. And then for a long time, for the last few years, you've called India home. Yes. I mean, people just go to visit there, but you called it home. I know. Tell it's, us a little a, bit about it's that. It's a special kind of crazy, isn't it? That <laughs> I, is. I yeah. went over there with you the first time in 2011 with the Global Life Vision Group. Right, right. So I first traveled to India in 2011 uh, with the invitation of a dear friend of ours who's become very dear and a mentor to me, Mr. Vinay Rai. And I fell in love with India. And we went to teach um, Life Vision in universities there to girls, um, underprivileged girls that were coming from all over the world and just fell in love with it. And it has just always been in my heart. And then we traveled there again in 2012 and fell in love with it a little bit more. And then uh, did some work in Kenya teaching Ideal Life Vision as well. And but just had this ping in my heart that was bringing me back to India, and that's that's a whole nother story how that happened. Yeah, and it's an incredible, amazing story that had to do with life vision. Absolutely, just, it did. Well, we're going to talk about that a little bit more, but let's before we get that far along, let's talk about how we reunited. We knew each other a long, long time ago. Before then, we had children, and now right. we've got a dozen between us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've got a, yeah, no, yeah. grandkids and everything. Yeah, everything. But uh, then you guys uh, moved moved away a little bit, and we just weren't uh, right there by you anymore. And our lives went in different directions. And then uh, a guy named Kevin Hall that we've talked a lot about on this show. In fact, we've had him as a guest. Uh, brought in the word Genshai and all those wonderful yes, things. Yes. And he reunited us. 
So uh, go down that road a little bit. Sure, sure. So uh, in another neighborhood I lived in, uh, Kevin was one of my neighbors. And down the road, eventually, through the magic of Facebook, we um, connected. I saw that he had written a book. And so I connected with him and read the book and just absolutely love it. I still recommend it to anyone and everyone all the time. The book is Aspire, and it is amazing. Discovering Your Purpose Through the Power of Words. And so through that connection, I had told Becky about it. And so we met with Kevin and and helped him to promote his message. He's inspired so many people all over the world. And eventually, I became Kevin's writing assistant. And Becky became his uh, social media um, expertise. (laughs) And so we connected again that way. And so it was a lovely reconnective um, power. I just have always uh, admired the things that both of you do and seeing what you're doing in the world is even more exciting. But I've just learned so much from him and from that experience. And one of the philosophies that we learned from Kevin was living life in crescendo. How did this philosophy bring you to doing humanitarian work? What you do now? Well, I think living life in crescendo, when I first heard that, that was something that Stephen R. Covey coined and I learned through Kevin Hall. And it's basically regardless of your age or circumstance or challenge or anything, we still can have a life of meaning and purpose and and opportunity. And sometimes when we reach a certain age, we think... Okay, we're on the downhill, right? Or um, when something tragic has happened, um, sometimes in my case, the death of my spouse, I've had some other challenging things happen. I've gone through a difficult marriage and I uh, I have had a daughter um, who has struggled with drug addiction, a very dear friend who was killed in a skydiving accident. So we all have those challenges, but sometimes they can stifle us. And so the idea of that, that there's so much ahead of us, um, so much more to do, so much more to learn, so much more to experience and contribute, I really took that to heart. And through that, and through some, and even in spite and because of some of those pains, sometimes the things we've lost are worthy of our grief. And uh, if we turn grief inward rather than outward, um, we can have, uh, you know, we can stay stuck in a lot of times, but if we turn it outward, we can turn that into service. And so I just opened my heart and hands to whatever God had in mind for me. And so every day I wake up and I say, use me, God, in the way that you would have me serve. And he finds places and people for me to serve. And sometimes that's in my own home and sometimes that's in my community. And sometimes it's in India or Kenya or Cambodia or Malaysia or Thailand. I just never know. Wow. How many people told you you were crazy when you first asked to go to India and you accepted a job and to go to work at a university in in India? How many many people told you you were nuts? (laughs) So many. (laughs) So many people did. You know, it's interesting you say that because I would pray every morning, who can I serve? And my parents were praying every morning, please don't take her out of the country. (laughs) As you can understand, they worry about me so much. They're so dear that way. But... I'm glad you brought that up because 
I asked myself that. I knew in my heart that that's where part of what my life's journey was about. And I knew that this was more than just going for a two-week humanitarian trip, that there was something more. And I didn't know what that meant, but I had to trust that that's what was intended for me. And so I can remember trying to put together like a business plan or something and present it to uh, some of my dear friends in India, including uh, Mr. Rai. And I just thought, oh, these are just ridiculous. So finally, I just followed my heart and just told, you know, Mr. Rai in particular, what I was feeling in my heart. And it was that, okay, should I send it? Should I not? <laughs> but when your heart is clear and your intent is pure, when the opportunities arrive, you will recognize those as answers. And so I had to trust that, okay, I'm learning to trust in my in what is presents itself. And that was part of my life vision, actually, that I wrote. So when I was so nervous to actually send that email, I thought, oh, I don't know. I'm, I'm saying here that I could possibly move to India, and what if that's the case? So, uh, And I, we need to point out that you are a mother and yes. your daughter is going to have a baby. Yes. And, and mothers are so crazy about making sure they're <laughs> so there with crazy their about that. and, and yes. their grandbabies. So yeah. how, how did you deal with all that? Well, I had all that chatter in my mind uh, going on, but I just ultimately had to trust in what I was feeling in my heart mm-hmm. and soul and honestly just would not leave me alone. I mean, going to India was in my heart. When they don't call it a calling for nothing. It right. keeps yeah. calling to you and calling to you and calling to you. And so I finally pressed that send button on the email. And 30 minutes later, I received an email that said, we would love to have you in India. And I was offered a job to teach and create a curriculum of life skills to um, university students. And six weeks later to the day, I arrived in India. But in answer to your question as well, that chatter was going in my mind, but then I had outside chatter. People were saying, what qualifications do you have to be a professor, right? So you mentioned that I cut your hair, so I have a cosmetology <laughs> license. I actually used to uh, produce film as well, and so I used to joke, I have a cosmetology license. I'm a film producer. Don't you see the natural progression in that? Yeah, exactly. I have no control over my life whatsoever. They're both clips. Exactly. Yeah. So I actually had somebody send me a message that said, what qualifications do you have to teach in a university? And she was pretty scathing about it, and it really hurt my feelings. <laughs> and I'm a pretty tough girl. I've been through a few things. I have five children. That makes you pretty tough. And oh, yeah. I've been an elected official, and so that makes you pretty tough as well. But it still hurt my feelings, and I started to question it. And I thought, that's a really good question. I I don't have society's definition of qualifications to be a professor at a university. But then I thought, you know, I have a cosmetology license and yet I'm going to India to be a professor. That takes a a certain amount of life skills to be able to achieve that. (laughs) So I, I responded to her with as much love and in my heart as I could. And, um, and I actually shared a little bit of that experience on Facebook and I have the most lovely friends who came to my defense and they were basically saying, who is it? I'll, I'll toilet paper their house. You know, I've got something to say to her. And, I was just so upset. I said, I don't know. I like blocked her. Her name was Brenda with the brown hair. (laughs) And so I've come to know that there's always going to be a Brenda with the brown hair people in my life as well as everyone else's. And so as long as we're very clear in our intention and our heart's desire, 
that's where we have to put our focus and our attention and energies. And you were the most loved teacher at Rye University. Oh, yes. So sweet. I, you know, they have an incredible staff there, but I'll tell you, I had, I did a lot more learning than teaching my time there. And I love those students dearly and I miss them. And when I get a message that says, ma'am, because (laughs) Indians are lovely like that, I have something exciting to tell you. I've been accepted to an exchange program in the Czech Republic. Or ma'am, guess what? I'm going to Canada to continue my education. Or they say, thank you for encouraging me and telling me to never give up and to be persistent and dedicated and steadfast with what my heart tells me to do. That's that's priceless. That is priceless. That's well, that's awesome that they just wanted you and you knew you had a lot to offer. Well, I have um, Vinay Rye to thank for that. He's a man of great vision, and uh, I've just learned so much from him, and I'll always be eternally grateful for him for giving me that opportunity, absolutely. That is so cool. (laughs) What are you doing now? What is your life headed in what direction? So I've just returned actually from uh, teaching this life skills program. I was actually on a mission with Operation Underground Railroad. And this is an organization who is dedicated to rescuing children in uh, the human trafficking all over the world. And just in their past three years of existence, this is phenomenal, um, Operation Underground Railroad has rescued 730 victims and assisted in the arrests of more than 365 traffickers around the world. So Ann Webb, who is uh, my partner in Global Life Vision, we were actually contacted last fall about creating a specific program to help in the aftercare of these um, children who are rescued using Ideal Life Vision. And so I assisted in writing that manual for them, but then we were just invited just this past spring to come on a mission to help teach some of the aftercare specialists. And um, because Operation Underground Railroad believes in empowering leaders in in the human trafficking community, but they do it in a way to be a force multiplier. So they connect with other organizations who are doing aftercare. And so uh, I just had the amazing opportunity to work with that organization and see what they do around the world with uh, compassion and power and, and determination and relentless determination that I learned that people will risk whatever it takes to do the right thing. And I also saw the importance and the value of collaborating and connecting. Sometimes even humanitarian organizations, uh, they might have some ego attached or some competitiveness about them that is void of what their true target is. And Operation Underground Railroad is completely void of that and is probably a key reason why they're so successful in just three years. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, three years and the things that they've accomplished. You say over 700? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And what's the, what's the ages of these people that they've rescued? Uh, well, when we were there, they rescue them as, as young, tragically, as just months old. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I saw some that were as young as three. and um, But they're, they're all children. I saw them three to 18 years old. Mm-hmm. But then we also taught and trained a group of girls who, as you can imagine, many of them are mothers, have children. So we taught this life skill program to some of those that were in their 
uh, early early twenties. So, but unfortunately, it's it tra- and tragically, it's very very young ages. That's incredibly heartbreaking. And and I know you emotionally, it just rips you up. So how do you deal with that? Mm, that's a good I, question. I've been with I, you in India, and we've shed a lot of tears. Yes, shed a lot of tears. It's a really good question, and I get asked that a lot, actually. And uh, something of this magnitude, you know, it's in our DNA to be compassionate. We have something that's called the vagus nerve. And if you see somebody, for instance, get their hand slammed in a door, you instantly cringe, right? Mm-hmm. That's your vagus nerve because we're mm-hmm. created to have compassion. And so when you see things like this, you can, uh, people have said, how, I don't think I could ever do that. And I had those same emotions. How am I going to do that? What am I going to do when I see them? What, you know, what emotions am I going to feel? And then I thought, how dare I? How dare I have any kind of qualms about doing what needs to be done because of my pain? Mm. Because of my pain? When they're living lives that we cannot even imagine. And so that was was part of how um, I deal with that. And then sometimes it's just a little overwhelming and you just wipe away the tears and get the job done. Because honestly, we don't have the luxury of messing up. Mm-hmm. We've got to do it. We can't be falling apart. And we can have great compassion and do what we need to do with love. But there's lots of tears. But they have to come at different times. Right. I, I have a question. It might be a dumb question. But you said it's all children. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're from being just a few months old. Mm-hmm. Um, when you talk about um, child uh, sex slaves... What, what kind of industry would they even have with those little kids, with little babies? Can you even talk about that? Or um, I can't share everything, but I can tell you that um, the perpetrators are Western pedophiles. They come from all walks of life. Some are rich. Some are presidents. Some are CEOs. Uh, mm-hmm. Some are pretty powerful. And um, some are just the guy next door. But... The good news is there is a powerful force that is relentless in finding them and tracking them down and putting them behind bars. As a matter of fact, we had an experience where one of the first cases in the U.S., there was an American who was was charged with sex, sex trafficking of uh, someone from Cambodia. And so the more that that happens, the better. Yeah. The better, and that's happening. Well, it just it just tears you up inside. But yeah. and I didn't even get to my final question. I got stuck on that. All of a sudden, my mind went there, and I just oh, it just makes me mm-hmm. sick. Mm-hmm. But the question I have for you is: you said that they're t- they're kids. So what happens when they hit twenty five and thirty? Um, what happens to them? That's where this remarkable aftercare um, programs are coming in, and they're just developing because initially Operation Underground Railroad, you know, they worked with um, the governments, and the governments weren't quite prepared to to do um, everything that is required. So that's where the collaboration, and, and this will make you smile because okay, <laughs> there's ready. nothing like seeing progress and seeing smiles on those who are rescued from trafficking who are living productive lives. So they're being educated. They're being taught skills. They're being offered hope. Uh, 
And, um, so they have a different view of view of life. And so, but the beautiful thing is these organizations are coming together and that's what humanity was created to do. And we can all do that. Yeah, that's exactly mm-hmm. what I'm talking about. We can't all go to Cambodia we, or right. to India. Right. So how can we help? Well, this I'm really glad you asked that because sometimes people say, well, I can't do what you're doing. And, and, and you're right. Not everyone can go to foreign countries to do something, but everyone can do something. Everyone can do something. It doesn't have to be in foreign lands. You can make a difference in your own country, in your own state, in your own community, in your own home, in your own backyard. It takes just, um, sometimes it just takes a smile or, um, you know, a helping hand. One of my favorite things to do, I used to do it at Christmas time. Well, my first idea was to do it at Christmas time, but sometimes uh, it doesn't cost any money or very little. One of my favorite things to do is take a dollar bill and write a little note and say, I hope you have a great day today. Have a treat on me. And you tape it like to the vending machine Mm. with the dollar. Mm. And if you really want to have a good time, kind of hide around the corner. The first time I did this, I was actually in a doctor's office and there was a glass front and I could see the vending machine. And I would go over there and do that and I could watch it happen. <laughs> and I did it five times. I had five $1 bills in my, in my oh, wow. purse. So I did it five times and watched. And it's so fascinating to watch people's, you know, they're like, get, some of them will smile or some of them will look around or I even saw one with a little tear in their eye. So you mm-hmm. can make a difference in the smallest ways. And that is how we change the world. One small act at a time. Mother Teresa said, I am a pen in the hand of a loving God writing a love letter to the world. And every single one of us can do something with your pen. What a great ending that went very, very fast. So fast. We needed 44 minutes. How can our listeners connect with you and find you? The best way right now is on my Facebook page. A few things are in the works as far as um, I've decided to do a little bit of one-on-one life coaching now that I'm here in the U.S. for a little bit that I do uh, by phone or video. So you can connect in that way if you're interested in that. Yes, that'll be in the show notes. Perfect. Well, thank you very much, Laurie Baum. Um, <laughs> so good to have you here. My uh, pleasure. Just love you, love you, love you. So thank you. Love Thanks you for all that you do to make the world a better place. Oh, my pleasure. Namaste. Thanks for listening to Life in 22 Minutes. If you liked what you heard, tell your friends about us and please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave a review. Your review will help us to broaden our audience. Until next time, don't wait for things to be perfect. Get out there and live life with courage humor, and a whole lot of love.